Good morning. Today is a special Sunday. Uh, with us we have Steve Torgerson, who's going to be co-preaching with me today. And uh, let me let me introduce uh, you to Steve. Uh, Steve is the president, uh, CEO, and king of a ministry called Salt. Yes, humbly, kings yes. are those would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Salt stands for systematic Asian leadership training. And if you remember last year, uh, Steve's organization is one of the four organizations that we supported uh, for our Giving Generously campaign. And so, uh, also, also. Steve is uh, Patrick and Irwin's former youth pastor. So there's a lot of history, a lot of dirt that's, that's there. <clears throat> and so I met with Steve uh, not, not too long ago. We were in a restaurant. The, the, the conversation was just so interesting. I, I thought Steve was so insightful. I said, you know, it would, be, it would be so great if you can come and just co-preach with me. And that was many moons ago, and here we are today. Uh, funny story in our preparations for today. Steve and I were preparing at a Chinese restaurant during lunch, okay? So we were sitting in the corner, and the, 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 the Chinese waiter comes up to us, and Steve, right there on the spot, just bursts into eloquent, fluid Cantonese. You know, the whole, you know, the, the intonations were there, the accent was there, the sing-songy thing was there. He, he had it all. And so then him and the waiter go back and forth in Chinese, and the waiter, waiter laughs, ha, ha, ha. And then the waiter turns to me. <laughs> uh, I like some Kung Pao chicken plays. You know, it was, it was, it, it was, <laughs> I have never felt so white in my life. <laughs> Steve, you had that effect on me. Um, and, and so, yeah, Steve speaks fluent, fluent Cantonese. It's, it's really amazing. And so, Steve, would you like to say some words of introduction to the church? Yeah, sure. I'm not saying anything about Andrew. I think you know him well enough, right? <laughs> but I do want to introduce my wife, Marilee. And you all know Patrick. And so Patrick and I go back a long time. You were uh, maybe ninth grade or so, something like that. Your sister Linda was a, a little squirrely junior higher. And uh, so uh, we've known the Lynn family for thirty-five, about 35. 33 years, something like that. It's been a long time. Same with Irwin. And so you came to know the Lord through that youth group ministry. So did Irwin, lots of other kids. And so it's very special for me to be introduced to you through Patrick, who's been a long time good friend of our family. Um, you've got in your bulletin some, uh, uh, our last Christmas newsletter. I thought, I don't want to carry this around anymore. So you, uh, are, uh, living garbage cans in a sense, if you want to think of it that way, not really. Uh, but uh, that gives a little bit of an introduction of our family. We have three kids. They're all grown. They're married. Our oldest, Jess, just this uh, last week, uh, finished grad school at Cal, got his PhD. He's uh, next month moving to Massachusetts where he'll start teaching uh, at a school called Amherst uh, College. And so they've got four grandkids, so we've been grandparenting this weekend. But uh, our other son, Joe, lives in Taiwan. He's also a history major and, and uh, teaches high school. And we have a daughter, Jamie, married, and she's in Shanghai. And they're all in education. She's elementary ed. Joe is high school. Jess will be university level. So that's a little bit of... Uh, we relate to people as a family most of the time, as a couple of kids and grandkids. So it's nice to be with you today. <laughs> Oh, and I do want to say thank you, too, for your generous gift to SALT last year. That goes to our Chinese staff, by the way, and most of our organization is Chinese. 
So part of my job is raising funds for our Chinese staff in Hong Kong and, and China. Thank you. So it is our uh, privilege, our great privilege. <clears throat> now, last weekend, uh, we had a terrific time at the retreat. I know for myself, it was great family time. It was great learning. It was a great a lot of things. One thing that happened me, to me during the retreat was I had plenty of conversations with people, meaningful conversations. There were two conversations that I had with two different people at two different times that it was the same conversation. And this is what I, uh, this is what people were telling me. Um, they were saying, Pastor Andrew, when I was younger, like I think they meant when I was in college, I was really excited about my faith. I wanted to tell everyone about Jesus. I remember graduating from college and saying, Mom, I want to do missions. You know, it was just that, that fervor. There was excitement about Jesus and who he was and about my faith. And then something happened. Life happened. Something happened to me. Two different people saying the same thing. I got a job and I, you know, my, my, my working life just got out of control, busy. And um, then I got a paycheck and things started being comfortable for me. And then I went off and got married. And during that, that free time at night, instead of reading the Bible, I'm talking to my spouse. And then we went off and had kids. And I just, I just feel like that life and that energy that I had in God had just been snuffed out of me. I don't, I don't know where it is. Life happened to me. And almost implicitly, like, what am I supposed to do? You know, I'm in this, in this place. I'm not feeling very excited about God. I'm not boiling with love for God. I just feel like I'm simmering. Now, it's interesting. Uh, two people said this to me in two different times, two different conversations. I'm thinking, that's probably representative of a lot of people in our church, probably. Life just kind of happened. Now, what would you say is the remedy or the, or the call of God or the word of God for you? And I was thinking about this. Wouldn't it be much easier to be, you know, loving God passionately and, and loving other people passionately and serving the world passionately? Wouldn't it be easier if we were just all called to overseas missions? Like Steve. Right? You, you wake up in a foreign place among foreign people. You're reminded, I'm here for a mission. Wouldn't that be great for your spiritual life to just go to a foreign land and be a missionary? Wouldn't it be great if you were separated from your spouse? And you can have free time at night to read more of your Bible instead of talking to your spouse. Wouldn't it be great if you could give up your kids for adoption? Then you would have all time, you know, time in the world to read your Bible. Now, granted, I, I'm, I'm being ridiculous. The word that, that Steve and I want to give us from, from the scripture today is <clears throat> stop and rethink your life. How can you grow and thrive in Christ where you are now by making the most of your present opportunity that you have in your life? You know, God's not calling you to be separated with your spouse. What does it look for, like for you to thrive as a married person? God's not calling you to give away your kids to adoption. What does it look like for you to have young kids and have it be such a demanding schedule and still thrive spiritually. You're loving God, you're loving other people, you're serving the world. What? Maybe God's not calling you to missions. But what would it look like for you to be where you are at now with your job? Yes, 
your current job, working full time, and still being able to thrive spiritually, loving God, loving other people, serving the world. And so, you know, during this message, we want you guys to be thinking, is there anything I can do in this place, with this job, with these kids, in my schedule, that is there a way that I can do it differently? Is there a way I can live more strategically? Is there a way I can make the most of this opportunity and this opportunity that is life here and now? Okay? That's the main idea. Stop and rethink. Now let's go to the text. We've been marching through the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> We've been marching through the book of Ephesians. And if you remember, the you know first three chapters are sit. The main idea is sit. Rest in Christ. And to the degree that you can rest in Christ, you have power to do chapters 4, 5, and 6, which is summarized by walk. It's by grace that you have uh, been saved, not not by your own works, but through faith. And to the degree that you know that, you have power to live the Christian life. Okay, so let's, let's go to the scripture, and let's start in verse 3. Chapter 5, verse 3. <clears throat> Paul writes this, But among you there must not even be a hint. Can I have you guys repeat? Not be even a hint. Okay, not be even a hint. Now really, I, Steve and I are calling you guys to stop and rethink. Is there a hint? Is there a hint? You know? But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Okay, skip to verse 5. Same theme. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, I, I just want to unpack a few things, okay? Uh, Paul says, such a person is an idolater. Externally, there's the behavior. But if you peel back the external layers, what's inside is idolatry. Now, if you take the example of greed, idolatry is looking to money to provide you ultimate security, ultimate provision. But money cannot give you that ultimate security nor that ultimate provision. Only God can. But if you're looking to money ultimately to be your ultimate security, that is idolatry. And God's like saying, listen, those things are insufficient. Only I will ultimately satisfy. So idolatry, it's not just on the outside Paul is actually talking about the heart. But he says this, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ? Now, I have to clarify this. There is a difference between people who make this a lifestyle. People who make this a way of life. And there's no shame, there's no struggle, there's no desire to change. There's no repentance, there's no prayer, there's no forgiveness. Now, there's a difference between people who do that Versus people who have weaknesses and fall, which is all of us. And there's regret, and there's humility, and there's forgiveness, and there's a desire to change, there's a struggle. Okay, please don't think Paul is saying one thing when he really is being quite nuanced, you know, for people who are pursuing this path, and there's no regret, there's no shame. And Paul says in very hard words for us, has any influence in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. 
What are empty words? What is Paul talking about? People who are pursuing these things, who are who have these three things as a way of life. Oh my gosh. The 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 kind of self-deception that they have. Uh, you know how, how do I say this? It, with people who are caught up in sin, the, the justification for why they're doing what they're doing and why it's okay is so out there. And our own ability to self-deceive ourselves is so powerful. I mean, we'll say things like, you know, I work so hard and I've sacrificed so much. A little bit of indulgence in this area should be fine. I mean, Paul's like, don't fool yourself. It's so easy for people to self-justify their sin and to come up with all sorts of explanations and all sorts of excuses, but let no one deceive you. Don't let yourself deceive you with empty words. Sin is sin. If there's a hint of sin, there's a hint of sin. Don't self-justify. Verse 7, therefore do not be partners with them. And one of the things that people do when they're, uh, when they're caught up in sin is they find other people who will encourage them and tell them it's okay and, and they're doing it together. So, uh, therefore, do not be partners with them. It doesn't say don't be friends with them, but you really have to ask the question, who's doing the influencing? And when you're partners, you're kind of influencing each other towards evil and towards sin. And so Paul says, don't be partners with them. Now, now let's go back to verse 3. I actually want to make my stand in verse 3, unpack verse 3 a little bit more, and then we're going to bring Steve into the, the conversation for verse 4. Paul says this, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. We're not going to go into greed because we just had a whole series recently that really was kind of about greed. We're going to talk about sexual immorality. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Paul says, not even a hint. Not even a hint. Now, why does Paul say not even a hint? What does that mean? It could be that Paul saying not even a hint and what he's saying is, look, I want you guys to be above reproach. Now, that's a very good interpretation. Paul saying, listen, live beyond, above reproach. But I actually think that Paul is being immensely practical when he says not even a hint. Because when you take something like sexual immorality, almost always, it just starts small. And then you feed it. And it gets bigger, bigger, bigger. And then it starts to consume you. But it almost always starts small. And so Paul's like, don't even let it start small. Root it out when it's small. Not even a hint. Here, let me give you an example. For people who commit adultery, which means you're sleeping with someone that's not your spouse and you're married, it, people don't normally just jump into bed with a stranger. That doesn't normally happen. Normally, it starts small. Like what? Like nowadays, it's like you're friending someone on Facebook who used to be an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend. Right? It starts small like that. Okay, let me give you another example. Dating couples will come up to me and say, Pastor Andrew, how far can I go with my boyfriend or my girlfriend before it's sin? Now, I've never done this, but but actually, if you were to take this scripture and just use that as, you know, the text for someone that's struggling with this question, then it sounds like Paul is saying, well, you know, not even a hint. Like, not even, not even a, a hint. I, I would just share from, from my own life. 
So when Rain and I uh, had the DTR, which means define the relationship, and we started dating, uh, quickly thereafter, we started to talk about how far we can go before it's sin, and we don't want to do that, right? And so have you ever heard the term that um, marijuana is like a gateway drug? You've, you've heard that before, right? Some of you have never heard that before. Well, what, what they mean by that is that people, when they get uh, really addicted to hardcore drugs like heroin, they don't normally start there. They normally start with something like marijuana, which is a little tamer, and then they graduate towards the harder drugs, right? So, so marijuana is the gateway. Well, Rain and I were like, okay, what does it mean when Paul says not even a hint? How do we apply that? And so we determined that the gateway physical activity for us was kissing. So we said, okay, you know something? We're not going to kiss until the day, God willing, that we are engaged. I cannot tell you how hard that was for Reina. That was good. I like that one. <laughs> no, it was, it was really, really hard. Sometimes you feel like we want to do everything but. You know, you want to go all the way to the edge, you know? But, but Paul says not even... No, listen. I'm not saying that you... Let me just say that the first kiss once we were engaged was amazing. Again, for Raina, I'm kidding. Um, it, it was, it was, it was awesome. But here's my saying. I'm not saying that all you who are dating or all you parents who are giving advice to those who are dating or all you uncles and aunties who are giving advice to those who are dating, that should be the line. The universe, Paul doesn't say that, right? But he does say not even a hint. He is saying it starts small, you feed it, grows bigger. Uh, so how do you apply it? That's my question to you guys. How would you apply it? Maybe if you're mentoring somebody, you say, well, this is what Paul says. How are you guys going to apply that? How can you not feed it when it's small? Okay, last thing, and then I'm going to uh, turn it to Stephen. I've got to say this. Whenever I'm in a room with Christians, and half of the Christians are men, I know that for at least some people, porn is an issue. Now, when we talk about sexual immorality, i got to go there. I know it's uncomfortable. i got to go there. Now, Paul says, don't be deceived by empty words. The empty words that you probably, we probably might give to ourselves to self-justify, we would say things like, you know, it's not hurting anyone. And Paul's like, those are empty words. It is hurting people. Granted, if you are married, it is hurting your spouse. I think you can reason that pretty easily. You're gratifying yourself without your spouse. Your standard of what's sexy and beautiful is being defined outside of your spouse. Okay, you understand how that could be helpful in a marriage context. People who are single will say, you know something? It's not hurting anyone. It is going to hurt your future relationship with your spouse. Now, probably no one's told you this, but I have counseled, I know people who cannot be mutually satisfied in marriage, and the reason why is because porn did it to them. I can explain more in private. But they were creating a neural pathway in their minds of being pleased in a certain way. And then when God brought someone physical to be united with them physically, they couldn't do it. It just, they just, it just so hard to reverse that neural wiring. It does hurt. Saying it doesn't hurt is empty words. And it hurts your relationship with God as well. So Paul says not even a hint. Now the first stop we want to make is, would you stop and would you rethink sexual immorality. Is there a hint of sexual immorality in you as a church? Okay. Now verse four, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, 
or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. This one I have to sit down because I'm guilty of this one. So, Steve, you, you, you take over. Not to assume that there is no hint of this in my life. <clears throat> Sometimes there is. What we're trying to think here, each, each of these um, stages we're going through, we want to ask the question, stop and rethink some area. The application in the end is going to be which of these stops and rethinks. Just pick one of them because we're going to introduce about five, I think it is. Stop and rethink just one of them that you want to say, you know what, I want to get a better handle on this one and address this one. I, I doubt anybody here is going to say, okay, I'll take all five of them and work on all of them. I think that would be a bad plan. So just think about one of these areas. If what Pastor Andrew just said to you is hitting home, then just camp on that one. And that's going to be one for, that's going to be your homework for the next uh, days, weeks, months to come. This might be another one. This one is stop and rethink your words. Stop and rethink what is coming out of your mouth. So we've just read the text. Um, I teach uh, middle school kids, junior high kids in our, kids in our little church in Hong Kong. And last, earlier this month, we were talking about James, which James is talking about uh, controlling the tongue. And so we're discussing that. The scripture talks about uh, the mouth and words all the time. Earlier, I'm assuming, if you've been walking your way through Ephesians, chapter 4 had several things to say about uh, words and talking. So this one is saying no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Hmm. Perhaps we're all familiar with some coarse joking. And that is inappropriate for you who are holy people. That's what it says in verse 3. You are God's holy people. So if I'm one of God's holy people, I want to stop and think about what comes out. And what comes out of the mouth, Jesus has told us, comes right from our heart. It's deep inside there. Move back a little bit, a few passages, to um, chapter 4. And in verses 25 and 26, he adds a few more things. He says, stop falsehood. Quit your lying. And then he moves down. Uh, he talks about work, work ethics in verse 28. And then verse 29. Boy, this is a tough one. It says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And sometimes that's pretty hard to do especially when we get irritated about something or someone catches us off guard and there's a little slip, unwholesome talk. How are you going to define that? Well, it's, it's a pretty broad category. Other things he says, he continues on a little bit later in here, and he says, get rid of bitterness or rage and anger, slander, malice. So words are pretty important uh, in Paul's perspective. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I learned how to swear from my mom and dad. Uh, that's where my first introduction to foul language came from. Not that they were really, really foul-mouthed, but they'd get ticked off once in a while. And so I'd hear a few uh, four-letter words uh, on occasion. Most of the time, my parents are pretty uh, under control. They're not uh, violent people by any means, but uh, my dad grew up as a farm boy, and sometimes some of the talk in the farm can be pretty coarse and harsh. But I was not allowed to say any of those words. None of us, my sister and brother and I, we were not allowed to swear or curse or cuss or do any of those things. It was an interesting, um, well, I don't know. I guess from age zero up to, there's a certain age, apparently, where you can get a license to start swearing. I, I think at our house, I think it was something about 18, though I really didn't see the papers. Uh, but I was like uh, 10 years old one day, out in the yard playing with some kids, and some they were just being mean to me. 
And I didn't know what else to do, so I just went in the house. I was just so frustrated, and I, the only safe place was just to go in the house. I couldn't kick them out of the yard because they're bigger than me. And so I went into the house. I found a piece of paper and a pencil, and I wrote down some nasty words to say to them. I didn't say them, but I wrote them down. Now, that's getting a little close to, you know, crossing the line. And I held it up in the window. <laughs> now, the size of the paper, as I recall, was about this big. It was really tiny. And I wrote it in pencil, and they were about as far away, at least, as to this sort of divider section. They couldn't read it, of course. They just knew I was, what is that little brat doing in there? The dumb thing I did is I forgot to throw that piece of paper away, and later on that evening, Mom and Dad came home. Somebody found that piece of paper, recognized the writing, and said, uh, Stephen, what is this? And what I had written on it, I think I writ wrote something like, go to hell. I, that was the nastiest thing I could think of at the time. And so I was just mad at those kids, and my parents made it very, very clear you are not allowed to say things like that. You're not allowed to write things like that. And I had the thought is, yeah, but you do it. So what's the age limit? When do I get to do those things? Is it just behind your back? Is it just in secret? Or am I supposed to re uh, reach the age of 18? Or is it 21? Is it 21 when you can start using swear words? So it was hypocritical to me. And I made a little bit of a vow at that point. And when I became an adult and a parent, I remembered that incident, and we have a rule in our house, and the rule is this. If I don't allow my children to say it, I cannot say it. That's the family rule. Still in place, even though my kids are in their 30s, still the same rule. I don't want my grandkids hearing their grandpa saying something that grandpa would regret or that they would mimic. What's the rule in your home? How do you guard your tongue? Where does it slip? Would that be a good rule in your house? Just Scripture doesn't say we need to do that, but it does say watch your unwholesome talk. Stop your obscenities. And so stop and think. Stop and rethink. Is the control of your tongue something you want to consider? So, Steve did give me permission to interrupt him at any time, by the way. Um, so and he's the pastor, <laughs> and I'm just a guest, so that's how it works. So, I, I, I would be um, one of the first to admit that I, I struggle with this, but I'd like to blame it on the American... Your wife? Yes. Oh. I'd like to blame it on Raina. I'd like to blame it on the American brand of humor. Mm -hmm. I think American humor is like, it's not, you know, playful laughter. It's like lighthearted, positive. It's more like you want to shock someone, mm. right? And it's mm -hmm. grotesque and it's coarse. And so sometimes I felt like I was, you know, last week I was up here. is a little bit of a confession. I was up here in the pulpit and I said, drugs are great. And I, and I said that and I got an email afterwards. Good for Re that okay, person. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. Like what if there was a family who has just been ravaged by drugs and they were here and the pastors are saying, drugs are great. But I got loose lips. I just, it just comes out. You know, I'm not, I'm not thinking that these words can actually build up or destroy. Am I making the most opportunity of my words? I don't know. Sometimes I just go, oh, this is just neutral talk. I'm just having fun. Mm -hmm. But words are powerful, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I like what, what you're giving us. Because I think a lot of us would be like, okay, where's the line? Obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. I mean, I can't 
even get close to that. And I think what's helpful in what you were saying is maybe the line is, if you're not cool with your own kids, like if you don't have kids, like imagine if you did have kids, if you're not good with your own kids saying that, then that means you've probably crossed the line to coarse joking, foolish talk, and obscenity. So I, I think that's a very helps, helpful like rule of measure. Steve, uh, verses 8 through uh, 14, why don't you just okay. take it away? All right. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, we want to stop and rethink this little idea. Who has access to your soul? Okay? Who has access to your soul. Now, there are two things going on in this passage that we're reading. Obviously, he's talking about light, darkness, uh, this contrast of things. And light has value because light illumines really what we're not quite sure is there in the darkness. And this is pretty important for us, so I, I want to ask another question of you, and that's this. Um, think of the average healthy Christian person. Maybe there's, uh, just think of anybody in your congregation, you consider them an average healthy Christian. What is growing or developing in that person? Is it light or is it darkness? Or is it both? This is the average healthy Christian. Is light and darkness both growing in them, one or the other, or neither? Okay, I'm going to ask you to vote now. Okay, you have four choices. How many of you think in the average healthy Christian that really it's light that's growing, but not darkness? What do you think? Okay, now, if you don't vote, you're going to be in trouble, okay? So just be careful. Okay, there's some hesitance. Okay, how many of you think that uh, it's both light and darkness are growing in them? Okay, some of you are saying, maybe that's kind of safe. Uh, okay, how many of you think it's neither light or darkness? It's kind of a stupid question, isn't it? Okay, so we're a little bit torn. Well, I should ask the other. How many of you think it's just darkness that's growing in the average healthy Christian? Okay, thank you. Nobody thinks that. Okay, so what is it? Why do some of you who said, yes, it's both light and darkness, anybody have enough courage to give a quick thought? Why do you think that? Several of you said that. Do you, you get people to respond to you in the middle of your sermon? And something? Okay. <laughs> yes, but speak loudly. I think it's because once you're saved, it doesn't mean that you're not in the world, you're like the world. Therefore, as you meditate on Scripture, as you take your struggles to God and the Holy Spirit can you but you're also growing in other areas where anger management or frustration or sarcasm or idol in those areas. Okay. Okay. So are you saying then that some of these vices, if we'll call them that, or sins or dark patches, those are getting worse and growing as you are also becoming more spiritually mature? 
transformation of the inner man that I read when I was in college, and I think it talks about as you become more conformed to the likeness of Christ, you see more the sin. Okay. And so the difference between Christians and non Christians is not that Christians are better, it's that Christians um, are more aware of their sinfulness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you're speaking to the. I'm. I'm. I'm not going to let you answer. Sorry, in the back. I'm going to move on. But my my fault. Got to watch the clock. So part of the idea here that you're expressing then is that we are in process, and as we become more spiritually mature, then this gives us uh, more tools and more sensitivity and more awareness to be alert to the darkness that's in us. My thesis is that the darkness that's in us continues to get worse, even as we get more spiritually mature. Oh, really? Look in there, what you studied last week, maybe. Chapter 4, verse 22. Okay, 4.22, if you have Bibles. Can we actually do that or not? Maybe not. Okay, I'll read it for you. Um, so if you do have a Bible, you can... Here's what it says. Verse 22, chapter 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. So now he's talking to Christians, okay? You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That's what we are always doing. We're constantly getting this stuff, this clutter out of our lives. And, but this is what's going on with that clutter. He says, put off your old way of life, which is being corrupted, present tense, active, your old self, while you are growing and putting things off, your old nature is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. These things in my life, I'm a pretty godly guy when it gets right down to it, compared to most average Christians, okay? Missionary, 30 years, seminary graduate, doctorate, blah, 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 okay? I have a long quiet time and on and on, okay? So I'm considered pretty holy guy to, I'm guessing, the Christian layman's church, to some really godly people who are wholly devoted to God, uh, I'm, I'm on about grade three, okay? So it's all relative, right? But it, what's going on in my life in my intentional desires to grow more spiritual, and I do make choices and I keep growing and I keep making changes in my life on purpose, what's going on in the back simmer of, a, of the oven or the stove is some of this muck and mire that's getting boiled down to this really thick, cruddy goo. And that never stops. It's always there. It's getting worse and worse all the time. Now, I identify these things. I expose some of them. But what this is saying is that is also going on. No wonder, then, we hear these pathetic or frustrating or sad or confusing stories of people who once were walking with the Lord and then just set him aside as if he was so much clutter. And they make these incomprehensible choices in life that is anything but Christian. What happened there? What's going on? This is what's going on, is the old self is continually getting more rotten. And I'm not free from my old self. And so I have all the potential for that stuff to find some little crack, some little moment, some weak spot to just ooze right out. Who 
is who has access to your soul is the question. Who's helping you keep watch of that morass, that filthy, polluted stuff that could ease out? Is it just you? You're the gatekeeper? You're the lone ranger watching? You're standing guard? You're accountable to God by yourself? Be careful. Now the interesting thing about this, the bad thing about this is we're reading from an English text. Those of you who speak Chinese languages, uh, it comes a whole lot clearer because when he starts off this reading, chat, verse 3, it says, but among you, that means all of you, not just one of you, not just you personally. Paul's not writing an, a letter to you individually. It's all of you, among all of you. There should be no hint among all of this congregation, no hint of sexual immorality or impurity or of greed. Wow. And he continues to go on, and it's all of you, all of you, all of you. No unwholesome talk, all of you, all of us. And now he's talking about among all of us, we need to be careful about this darkness, and it needs to be exposed, is what he says. So verse 11, expose these things. It's shameful what goes on in the secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. So how do I, who has access to my soul? How do I get at this issue? Personally, I'm, uh, how do I view myself? I view myself as a pretty competent person, independent, self-reliant. I'm a can-do guy. I'm going to keep my word. I'm one of those kinds of people. Not everybody is wired that way. And so I think I'm pretty self-sufficient. God, you can count on me. I'm going to be right there. Don't worry about me. I got it covered. That's in the back of my mind. I sort of think that way. That's pretty dangerous to be thinking that way. I've got two friends who um, approached me several years ago and said, Hey, Steve, would you like to join us for a little bit of uh, accountability? And let's, uh, let's just meet once a month for lunch. And so we did that for years, and we would uh, have some pretty interesting conversations over lunch. I was never the guy who arranged the meetings. It was always one of the other guys. He's very relational, and he took the initiative and made sure we met. met. This has been going on now for 25 years. They have access to my soul. And these two guys and I, I think, have been through the deepest waters we can imagine together because we watch out for each other. Somebody is helping me. I usually think I don't need help. I'll do it myself. I know how. I have good spiritual habits. But you know, there are these things lurking in the back that I'm not always aware of. And the exposing to light becomes a wonderful, beautiful, but humiliating, but cleansing event for me. And so we talk about, they ask me, hey, Torg, what about this thing? You know, you mentioned this about three weeks ago and caught my attention. I'm wondering, what are you thinking about that? What do you, what, you made that comment, and it was a little bit flippant, but uh, what's behind that? Well, some of the ooze kind of s snuck out there by accident. I didn't notice it, but he did. 
And then he brings it up and asks me about it. And I'll try to justify and explain it away. And he says, no, really, I mean, honestly, what's going on? You think God's satisfied with your answers? Hmm. No. He's watching out for my soul. Now, you're supposed to interrupt me at this point. And, my interruption. Uh, ask me some questions. Yeah, I did, I did have some questions like, um, <laughs> how, how deep do you guys go? Like, you, you, you seem, you said you're very independent. Um, I don't think men typically naturally want to go deep with other, how deep do you guys go? Like, what do you guys talk about? Yeah, it took us a while to get comfortable with each other. There's always a risk. If I tell someone something pretty, pretty private, can I trust him with it? See, that's, that's the risk you take is, okay, uh, what if he's got a big mouth? Don't, don't let someone with a big mouth have access to your soul. Don't ever do that. That's just not worth it. it it's too painful. Stay away from that. So people that you can really trust who know how to keep things quiet. So we, uh, we go real, uh, there is nothing at all at this point that cannot be talked about. But see, that came with growing trust and giving them information and then them handling it wisely, carefully, privately, then I knew, okay, it's safe. So at this point, you know, with decades, it's totally safe. Yeah. We are. But that takes time. But you've got to start. Uh, I was about age 30. I was thinking about it this morning. I think I was 37 or so. So it was mid to late 30s. You know, and up to that point for us guys, uh, you know, we're, we're rolling on education, getting into our career, and we're, we're dealing with trying to be successful and competent, and we're, we're not thinking about somebody needs to have my back and to watch out for those kinds of things. But I think for those of you, I mean, I look around at all of you, uh, you're pretty much everybody is that age or above, guys, brothers. You need this. And if it isn't there, Andrew, yeah, I, it needs know, to get in place. I I was making my a bit of a confession to Steve that if I was, if I if I was caught up in a in a deep dark skin uh, sin, honestly at this point in my life, I I don't know who I would tell. And I thought I thought of all the points that we've made for me, this one is personally the most convicting and also the most inspiring that Steve does have this. Part of me at first when you were sharing it was thinking, well, Steve is just that kind of guy. You know, there's certain kind of guys that are very easy just to open up. But then he was saying, no, no, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm actually doing this because of need. I realize I need this. I, I feel like I'm not that kind of guy too. So I'm like, hey, let's get together and share our deep, you know, dark, exposed darkness with each mm -hmm. other. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. do that. But I also realize there is that need. I, and so maybe I think, maybe you guys don't feel like, okay, I, I'm naturally like that. Or I know people who are naturally like that. But can you at least relate with Steve in hearing that there's a need? That there's a growing darkness inside you that has to be actively managed and destroyed. And Christian accountability is one of the best ways to do that. One of the advantages of this for us is, uh, you know, we're in our, I'm just 60 now, this last month. And uh, so we're late 50s, early 60s, the three of us that do this. One brother has been through divorce. Another one uh, went into depression. And it took us years to figure out he was bipolar. And seven years ago, I went uh, uh, through a burnout 
and I just wanted to walk away from, I, I basically shut down everything for, was it four months, six, okay. Uh, the guy who went through a depression and bipolar, uh, I mean, he just wasn't thinking straight. And he finally told me, um, get out of my life, leave me alone. And I said, no, not going to do that. You need me. And I'm going to be there. And he is so glad that I didn't pay attention to him today. We've got each other's back. We have been through the deepest, cruddiest things with each other. And walking with God today in a very precious, deep way. That's what it's about. Steve, I think in this area, everyone here has a lot to learn from you. And our collective word from the scriptures, would you stop and rethink your relationships? Especially with uh, other 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 people of the same gender, do you have that kind of a, uh, kind of accountability? Are there pe- maybe stop and rethink the opportunities that you have in this church? Do you have maybe one or two people that you can expose the darkness with that you can do life together, be totally open, honest, vulnerable with? Because this is a great place to find that accountability, either in a mentor or a mentee, either in peer relationships, someone in your home group maybe. Great opportunities here at, at, at church to do this. Uh, so stop and rethink your relationships. Uh, let's move on to verse 15. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Can you repeat that one with me? Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Now, why should you live strategically? Because in this age, in this culture, with, with all the forces that are around us, including demonic forces that we'll get into chapter 6, everything is pulling us away from having the kind of life that loves God passionately, that loves other people and serves the world. There are so many things going on in, in your life and mine that is, is pulling us away from actually having a life like that. So we have to make the most of every opportunity. We have to live strategically because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore don't be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Can I ask you guys, in your place, where you're at, are you living strategically? Are you making the most of every opportunity that you have? Okay, I, I want to share three examples for how we can do this. They're not comprehensive. They're just three examples that I know are relevant in our church. The first one is going to sound incredibly selfish. When I was single, I had so much of something that I do not have now. Do you know what that was? Time. <laughs> Time. And if you look around this room, uh, for people who are married and with kids, especially with young kids, they have very, very, very little time. I remember one time, I think it was after my daughter was born or my, or my second son was born, I finally made it to dinner with Reina. And do you know what we talked about during that dinner time? How people in our life stages have affairs and divorce. That's what we talked about during that meeting because we were at this time in life where there was zero margin. We were just coexisting, changing diapers. Life was crazy and the intimacy just just dwindled. And so we're having this dinner just going, you know, I understand how other people can, it's just so hard. So here is one opportunity. Loving God, loving other people, single people. Are there some married people with young kids 
that you can just give them a date night. You can just say, hey, I'm coming over to your house. I'm going to feed your kids a bunch of candy. I'm going to put them like two hours to bed late. But I'm coming over to your house and you take a date night. Because I got time and you, well, maybe you have time. I have time. You don't have time. I'm going to make the most of this season where I have more time and you don't. Can I get an amen somewhere? All the married people, young kids, hey, amen. Now, don't do it for me, okay? Uh, we already have someone that's doing that for us. We love this person. This person is, is an angel sent from God. Go have your date night. But maybe you can do that for other people in the church. Living strategically. Okay, here's, here's another way we can apply. Make the most of the opportunities that you have. Make the most of your time. How many of you guys commute to work? Raise your hands. Okay, keep your hands raised if you commute for more than 30 minutes round trip per day. Okay, that's still a fair number of people. How about rate, keep your hands raised if you commute for more than an hour during your commute time? Okay, some people do. Okay, it's going to range from 15 minutes to an, to an hour to 30 minutes. I know for me, it's 20 minutes to work, it's 20 minutes back, it's 40 minutes. How can you make the most of that opportunity in the car? I know you're crazy, you're, you're wanting more time, but that is maybe 20 minutes on the front end, 20 minutes on the back end. How can you redeem that time? How can you make the most of that opportunity? One thing that I do is I will actually listen to podcasts. I have my favorite speakers. I will redeem that time, make the most of that opportunity, listen, get fed by scripture. I can tell you that there are certain weeks where I feel closer to God and certain weeks where I'm not feeling as close. One of the difference makers on a week where I'm feeling closer to God is just the foresight in planning that week out, commute time, how can I make the most of that time to love God, love other people, serve the world, loving God, and I'll download podcasts and listen to them. It makes me feel closer to God. It makes that difference. Living strategically, stop and rethink commute time. Uh, here, here's, here's one last example of, of making the most of your opportunities. Uh, this one's very personal for me. In general, I'm good with how I spend my time. What I'm not feeling so good about is what I do during my free time. Now, I get maybe like three hours of free time per night. It's when I put the kids to bed. Between that time and sleep, I got like about three hours of free time. It's all to myself. And a lot of times I will drown that time in like video games or Netflix. And I feel awful about that, you know. And part of me engaging the scripture is just saying, God, how can I make better use of that time? Now, I think that time is for rest and relationships. But how can I, how can I um, receive a rest that's truly more restful? And how can I redeem that time that's really even better for my relationships? And part of me, it looks like, okay, Lord, I just invite you into this time. Be the Lord of my free time and help me to decide with wisdom how I spend that time to make me a person that loves God, that loves other people and serves the world, to make me a person that's rested truly. Now, Steve, you had some commentary on, uh, on I'm this. I'm be real brief. So one of the things I uh, started doing differently is having silent time. Now, everybody in this country seems to be wired, and so you're always listening to your uh, iPods or uh, something's in your ears. And if you're commuting, you've got the radio on or you've got your own music. How about think about what, what is a routine or a habit that I do that I could tweak a little bit that could make a change for me that would be a little bit more on a redeeming side? And what if you just shut all the noise off and the music and the stuff and just stop it? And if you are commuting, have it silent in your car. 
and then just think. Rethink. Yeah. It says, be very careful in how you live. Stop and ask yourself, am I doing this wisely? We're thinking about this kind of a thing. God, you have some other perspective. So one of the things you could think about doing is shut noise off and have silence. And one, uh, I, I, I have a 10 minute walk from when the ferry docks uh, in Central to where our office is. And um, I usually, that was just kind of uh, zero time. And I was speaking at our church uh, a few weeks ago and, and asked them, uh, gave them a little bit of a challenge. And I thought, well, wait a minute, Steve, what are you doing? And so, I, you know what? I can take that 10 minute slot there and I can, I'm walking, I can use that to memorize. And so I've started doing that, memorizing scripture. I said, that 10 minute, it's a little tweak. It's a little thing to say, hey, what could I do a little bit differently that's part of my routine? That's just stop and rethink about what you're doing. And is that something you can do with your time? That's great. Thank you, Steve. A little bit of a review, and I'm going to close with the last point. Again, our word to you is, is stop and rethink your life. We've been talking about four or five areas of life, and this really is a time for you to go, Lord, is there something you want to put a finger on? Is there a way that I can do this differently to make the most of this opportunity? So in terms of purity, is there a hint of sexual impurity in your life? Maybe God is putting a finger on that one. Okay. In your speech, are you making the most of the words that are coming out of your mouth? Accountability. Who has access to your soul? Maybe that's the point of conviction for you. Like, I'm lacking people I can really, really be open and vulnerable with. I want that. How can I pursue that? And then living strategically, are you making the most of your present opportunities? I want to close with verses uh, 18 through 20. Paul says this, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul says, don't get drunk. Okay, now why would Paul contrast these two things? Don't get drunk, instead be filled. Well, really, if a person is getting drunk or a person is being filled with the Spirit, they're actually after the same thing, but in totally different ways. Um, what are people after when they're drinking? They're after joy. They want they want awesome joy. Uh, alcohol, it makes you happy because it's depressing. It's a chemical that depresses part of the brain. So you have troubles, you get drunk, you forget about your troubles. Well, the Spirit works in um, exactly the opposite way. The Spirit doesn't make you less aware of your problems. It makes you more aware of your resources. So basically, it takes the person and the work of Jesus Christ and it moves it from your head to your heart in such a way that it becomes so real. And there's joy and there's song. And so then it goes to verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, now I was talking with Steve, and I don't think this is actually literal. It, like when I saw Steve today, I didn't go, hello, Steve, nice to see you today. And in the morning with, with rain, I wasn't like, rise and shine. And get, it was, I mean, if I did that all the time, she would find me annoying. It must be figurative, right? So what does that mean? It means that when you're filled with the Spirit, you don't just coexist with people, but you have a song to sing to them. You serenade them, if you will, and that song edifies, it builds up, it adds energy and life. 
sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I hope you didn't hear this message and go, oh, these are a bunch of rules that God... No, no, no. What's the picture that Paul is, is painting? When a person is filled with the Spirit, they have a new song of joy in their heart. It's like they're making inner music to God and it's bursting with joy. They're singing to God. Verse 20. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. This is a song of thanksgiving. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So not only being filled with the Spirit means that you sing a new song and there's inner music towards God, but you enter into uh, with other people into a dance of submission. It's You enter into this dance. The dance is that you are giving yourself to people and they're giving themselves back to you. You are putting their needs before your own and they're putting your needs before. It's a dance. It's back and forth. You're submitting. It's a dance of submission. That's what life in the Spirit is like. Now, this is an incredible invitation. Are you making the most of this opportunity? Because God has invited us to receive the Spirit and to always be filled by the Spirit. Are you making the most of that incredible invitation? Would you please stand? Lord God, I thank you for the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you have created sacred places for us to stop and to rethink there are people here in our church who are struggling in a certain area. Maybe their love for you has grown cold. Maybe there's places of conflict with other people. Maybe they're just feeling so busy that God and, and, and true life in Christ has just been snuffed out. And I pray that you would speak very helpfully and very practically to your people, even here and now, and say, this thing, I want you to change this. I'm going to give you the power to change this. I'm going to give you the plan to change this. Follow me. Thank you that you are a God who loves us not to keep us the same way, but has caused us to, called us to a radical life of a new identity in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.